you are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France. Today we're in Saint Gervais Mont Blanc. finish of stage 15 of the Tour de France at Saint-Gervais Mont Blanc. My name is Lionel Burney. This is a cycling podcast and I'm with two people who are up at the top there. First of all, Lizzie Banks. Hello. Hello, Lionel Burney. And Ian Boswell. Hello. Your final episode of this year's tour coverage. We'll be sad to see you go. Let's let's not skip to the end. There's plenty to talk (laughs) about. What was it like up there, Lizzie? Well, it's funny. It was both thrillingly spectacular and slightly anticlimactic, but the view was absolutely stunning. We were in the shadow of Mont Blanc. There were these clouds that were sort of whipped over the top of Mont Blanc, beautiful blue sky, a sea of yellow jerseys and hats beneath me, and the crowd was absolutely roaring when Vingegaard and uh, today Pogacar came to the line. So it was really exciting and I loved the atmosphere, but then the finish was a little bit disappointing and anticlimactic as well. Well, we'll get to that because the stage was actually won by someone you know very well, Ian, Wout Poles, uh, a one-two for the Wouts today, wasn't it? Uh, but Ian, perhaps you can set the scene. Where are we right now? We are in Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc. Uh, it's a very busy town square. I think this is the busiest place we've recorded so far. Uh, I think uh, a long weekend following the Bastille Day and a lot of people out uh, drinking today. We just saw a gentleman uh, trying to get the whole square to cheer. Probably had a few too many drinks tonight. But, uh, yeah, at the base of Mont-Blanc and probably one of the most stunning and picturesque places we've recorded. And for the second night in a row, I've heard a Coldplay covers band playing in the distance. Oh, I hope, following you I around. Hope, <laughs> hope, <laughs> hope for our listeners' sake that's not coming through on the headphones. No, no slight on Coldplay. Anyway, let's talk about the stage, shall we? It's time for the tale of the attack. Stage 15 from Leger to Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc, 179 kilometres, lots of mountains and a huge break of 38 riders. I'm not going to list them all, but there were some big names in there and I'll just run through what happened in the kind of second half of the stage because that's where all the action was. There was a period where Julian Alaphilippe of Sudal Quickstep and Alexei Lutsenko of Astana were out in front for a little while and then Bora Hansgrohe's Marco Haller was out in front. I wondered if he was inspired by the appearance at the start in the start village of Arsene Wenger, the former Arsenal manager, legendary Arsenal manager. Haller is an Arsenal supporter, as Daniel Freeboy never ceases to remind us. Haller's stay out in front didn't last that long. He was replaced first by Rui Costa and then by Marc Soler, who attacked from that group. And that's really when the bunch of breakaway riders started to break down. And towards the top of the Col des Aravis, Wout van Aert, Wout Poles and Chris Nylands broke clear in pursuit of Soler. Nylands then crashed on the descent, so that was his chances over. With 25 kilometres to go, the leading trio still had a minute and 10, and then Soler was dropped by the other two with around 15 kilometres to go, and then Wout Poles took his chance. The Bahrain victorious rider soloed off the front and gave Bahrain their second victorious victory of the Tour de France. Then there was a GC race. We were waiting for it to really ignite, but it was a little bit like, uh, you know, the the firework that doesn't really go off, wasn't it? Um, Pogacar 
was sort of letting the wheel go. I wondered whether uh, he was trying to kind of play a few games with Jonas Vingegaard. Mm. And then Adam Yates just rode off the front of that little group. And I just couldn't work out what UAE Team Emirates tactics were at that point. 900 metres to go, Pogacar accelerated, but Vingegaard looked a lot better today. He was right on the wheel, comfortably so. Pogacar was out of the saddle doing his usual thing, and Vingegaard just rode up to the wheel and stayed there. Round that tight bend right at the end, Vingegaard tried to spring a surprise, but they finished more or less side by side. In fact, Pogacar just about got it. But the first 15 on the stage were from the break. Wout Poles, Wout Van Aert, two minutes back, and then some of the other names in there. Well, Mikel Lander in fifth, Thibaut Pino sixth, Guillaume Martin seventh, Warren Barguil tenth. I mean, that's like a list of all of the greatest hits of fading French cycling, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to be too unkind. Jai Hindley lost a minute and 16 to Carlos Rodriguez. The Ineos rider looked very accomplished today, and we'll probably talk about him again a bit later on. But one Ineos man didn't take the start this morning. That was Danny Martinez. Everyone else, though, has made it to the second rest day. So, overall, still only 10 seconds in it between Vingegaard and Pogacar. Rodriguez looking really good on that third podium position at the moment, although Adam Yates has closed right up behind him as Hindley has dropped another place. And uh, the bottom half of the top 10 has kind of shuffled around a bit. Felix Gao of AG2R has dropped out. And the other big bit of news today is that Giulio Ciccone of Lidl Trek has taken the lead in the King of the Mountains competition. Well, he's taken the jersey. He's actually tied on points with Nielsen Paulis and Vingegaard has dropped to third place. So that competition is starting to heat up. But we will talk about Wout Poles and his stage win in a moment. The cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. They have been with us since 2016, a long time now, and we're very grateful to them for their support. And Science in Sport are, of course, the world leaders in endurance nutrition. Lots of riders in the peloton use their products. Ineos Grenadiers are supplied by Science in Sport, of course, but lots of other teams use them too, even if uh, they may... Oh, I don't want to say something I shouldn't hear but let's just say lots of other riders in the peloton use science in sport as well and take science in sports go isotonic energy gels the world's first energy gels to mimic the gut's fluid composition to be absorbed more rapidly into the bloodstream each energy gel provides 22 grams of carbohydrate to boost energy on the bike and stave off the dreaded bonk so like all science in sport products go isotonic gels are scientifically formulated to help riders maintain their top pace for longer so you can fuel hydrate and recover like the Ineos Grenadiers at scienceinsport.com That Tour de France stage win was a long time coming for Wout Poles wasn't it? He's a veteran rider now, I hope you won't mind me saying that, 35 years old, he's been a pro since 2009 when he rode for Vacan Soleil, spent a long time doing all of the hard work for Team Sky didn't he? But not just his first Tour de France stage win, his first Grand Tour stage win. And the closest he'd come before in the Tour was in 2021 when he was third in Andorra, also from a big break. And in fact, on the same day in the race, stage 15, that day he finished behind Setkus and Alejandro Valverde. But Ian, you must know him well from your time together in uh, Team Sky. What kind of guy is he? And is this the kind of the sort of stage win we often see from riders in the twilight of their career they finally land a big one yeah i mean i was surprised to actually realize that this was wout's first grand tour stage win i mean he's a rider he's won liege best on the age but you know 
over the last couple of years, he has been a domestique at the big races. And, you know, it's become it's hard to win a stage when you're working, especially at Team Sky. You know, very seldom did you see a rider outside of the GC leader win a stage. Uh, he's a really good guy. He's incredibly friendly. We heard from him earlier in the week on kind of what it meant to, you know, be here at the Tour, you know, after losing his teammate Gino Mater. And I know it's going to be, you know, really impactful and emotional for Wout to win, to win here today. Um, yeah, I mean, a great guy, and, and you know, he's he's no spring chicken. I think is he 35 years old now, and you know, we continually see the peloton getting younger and faster. And so, for him to pull out a win today, especially out of that group that was up the road, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, 38 riders. The odds are against, aren't they? When that many riders go clear, I won't list everybody that was in there, but there was some real firepower. Lots of riders we've seen in breaks already in the tour, and lots of riders that probably 20 of those names maybe more you wouldn't have been at all surprised if they had won a tour stage there wasn't anyone in there that was kind of you know didn't belong in that group so i mean an impressive victory but just biding his time waiting for the moment and finishing it off on the final climb impressive yeah impressive it's all about choosing that moment working out where to use your energy making sure that the group is working but if it's a big group then you know not all 35 riders are going to be pulling through so you have to work out where to conserve uh, and where you can go that is early enough that you're not going to get chased down but late enough in the race that you can make it to the finish and he just absolutely timed that to perfection today I mean Ian when you saw Alaphilippe and Lutsenko up there I mean both quality riders they've won tour stages before did you think that's far too early to be making that sort of move was that the sort of desperation of riders who perhaps didn't have the confidence that they could be there at the end or were they just trying to break it down and increase their odds or reduce their odds which whichever way around it is i'm never quite sure yeah improve their chances in in that situation you know with a group that big you do try to increase your odds by going off the front you know you go from a you know one in 38 chance to a one in two chance if, if you're just two riders off the front and as lizzie mentioned you know oftentimes big groups are not very conducive and they don't always work well together and oftentimes you see groups really split up and so maybe that was their hope was that they got up the road the groups behind you know multiple teams with multiple riders thinking you know hey we're gonna wait for them to chase or you know we'll wait till another team chases before we start chasing next thing you know you have two minutes and, and both you know alaphilippe and lutsenko you know stellar riders in their own right but not riders who have really shown themselves to their top form at this tour. We've talked a lot about Wout Van Aert in there again, kind of playing that dual role. He might have been of some use to Vingegaard if the stage had turned out completely differently. But again, going into the bottom of the final climb with an outside chance of a stage win. I mean, racing very, very hard, but not coming up with any real results for himself and today didn't really contribute to the team effort either yeah I did wonder if there was a point when it was clear that he wasn't going to be able to get back to the front of the race if he would just sit up and sort of save enough energy save as much energy as possible because we know what's coming on Wednesday they've got a huge day in the mountains fitting at Shing up at Col de la Lowe's and that's going to be critical and he's also got a chance to win in the time trial on Tuesday let's not forget that could be a big goal for him to get a stage win there the King of the Mountains competition also kind of burst into life a bit, really. The, Nielsen Paulus has been trying to build himself a bit of a lead. We've kind of said in the podcast before that the worry for any of the other riders is that Vingegaard and Pogacar will just hoover up all of the points as a matter of course, just because of the way the race pans out. But Giulio Ciccone of Lidl Trek has really put himself right in the thick of that battle now. And a good enough climber, I would have thought, to try and stretch out that lead over the last few mountain stages. Absolutely. I mean, Giulio Ciccone, you know, missing out on the Giro this year that started in his home region, coming here to the Tour, 
you know, he's been patient. He wasn't chasing points in the first week. But now that we're in the mountains and, you know, he has the ability to, you know, go in these breaks. He's far enough down on GC. And, I mean, if Vingegaard and Pogacar continue to go for stage wins and, you know, the breaks don't stick, most likely one of the two of them will take the polka dot jersey but i think that chicone is the, the the i mean really they're going to be the rider chasing the polka dots the most and capable of winning that classification anything else stand out from today's stage i mean to me it felt like a classic tour de france mountain stage the big break the race for the stage win kind of breaking down in you know bits there were phases to it where the number of riders that might have had a chance were suddenly whittled down and suddenly whittled down again and all of a sudden it looked very clear and very simple they were just four riders in contention and then three riders in contention um, but in the battle for the stage win was there anything that caught your eye today at all I guess my question was really, uh, you mentioned at the beginning about what UAE's tactics were. You know, they had people in the break, as did Yumbo. And I don't know, did they, they seemed to let it go out, you know, and they weren't riding and they only rode right, right at the end. But then right at the end, they were putting a lot of people on the front. And I thought, I really thought, and Ian was contesting my idea earlier, and we can talk about that, because I really thought this is a great opportunity for Pogaccia to go for a long one on the pre-climb into Saint-Gervais. It was super steep. He had this position where all of his riders were on the front. Pogaccia could have gone for it, and Vingegaard was actually not in a position where he'd have been able to initially respond because he was kind of boxed in. And in men's cycling, I often get frustrated that there's always this sort of waiting, waiting, waiting till the final kilometre. You know, we saw Pogaccia go at 400 metres to go on the Grand Colombia, and we said that's a, that's a long way out. Then he went at 500 metres on the Juplan yesterday, and then today he went at 800 metres out. But why not go at 10k out? You know, I know you can lose, but you can also gain. And the other rider who's your rival still has to put in a huge effort. Well, we will get to that point in the next part. We'll ask Ian why that doesn't happen. But you're right, Lizzie. Mark Soler was in there and he was racing for the stage win at some point. So this mm. kind of narrative that Jumbo Visma and UAE Team Emirates are just solely looking after their team leaders doesn't really stack up. I mean, Soler... Probably if he was fresher, having not done all of that work, he would have had a much better chance of winning the stage. Certainly the equal, if not better, of Wout Poles. But that just shows you that the Tour de France is a battle of attrition. Soler has done a lot of riding for his team leader. And it always strikes me as slightly curious that a team would put a rider in a position and then say, OK, well, if you've got the legs, try and win the stage. But of course, he didn't have the legs. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the case of put the riders in there because we don't know what's going to happen. But then... You know, both Yumbo and UAE both put a rider in there and then both let the brake go out. So we're kind of like, well, why did you bother putting someone in the first place? Uh, I don't know. Complicated old business bike racing. Yeah, I mean, I guess that said, you know, Solar did come back and help Yates and, and well, briefly Pogachar at the finish. And, you know, so... Very, very briefly. I mean, and, <laughs> and I guess it's kind of a situation of, you know, you put one in, we'll put one in. Because the last thing you want to do is... And, and Solar is a really good climber and is, you know, on his day. And so if, if Wout's up there, they need a rider there to match to match you know kind of the numbers just in case in case someone jumps across it's, but it's then why didn't Wout sit, sit up and go either I'm just going to save energy for later or sit up and say okay when when Jonas comes up I can actually help a bit well I mean this kind of goes back to what we talked about yesterday and Wout's little move at the bottom of the Juplan he, he still wants a stage win he still has his own ambitions here and he's strong enough to be able to do that which is and you know the, the gap went out far quicker than I thought between Poles and Van Aert yeah. And so I thought, you know, maybe, you know, on the bottom of the climb, it was steep. Powell's got away. I thought maybe when the climb kind of steadied out a bit that Van, Der, Van Aert would come back. But 
you know, it just clearly wasn't his day, but he, he pushed on all the way to the line. You know, there's every chance as well that he didn't have good radio communication as well. And I, I only just thought about that because obviously we're watching and we can see everything and you, you do forget, even as a rider, that the riders are blind. And perhaps he didn't know what the gap was and, and still thought there was a chance to come back and make it to the stage win. Ian, you said there a case of you put one in, we'll put one in between UAE and Jumbo Visma. Do, do teams have those kind of discussions? Do the sports directors communicate with each other do the riders talk to each other I it mean it makes perfect sense but do they have a kind of semi-formal agreement or a tacit nod yeah let's do that it wouldn't be between team directors but it would be in the meeting beforehand and you know if if Yumbo puts a rider in UAE is going to say hey if they have a rider we need a rider if they have two riders we need two riders I mean it's it's the way you mark GC riders you know hey if you know rider 121 goes in the breakaway we need a we can't let this number go if this team puts a rider in the breakaway, and this happens you know, almost every stage. These mm-hmm. are the teams, these are the riders that can't go in the breakaway, but if one goes in, we have to match it. And even if it's a, a break over a certain size, you have to have one in there. You don't necessarily have to work, but you have to have one in there. Well, the day was all about Wout Poles, and uh, any, any other sort of memories or stories from your time riding with him that you can think of, Ian? I mean, Lizzie pointed out earlier, but you know, Wout <laughs> has an a ongoing Instagram hashtag of where is Wout, and tonight, Wout is on the podium. <laughs> This is Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, sitting at the back of the back. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by NordVPN, which is a virtual private network to keep all of your internet connections safe and secure when you are online. And I'm using my NordVPN now because I am linked up to my mobile phone and I am on the internet and I know that my connection is safe and secure. You can get a great deal from NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com TCP and you will get a two-year plan with a bonus month on top for no extra charge and it's completely risk-free too because there is a 30-day money-back guarantee so if you try NordVPN and you think it's not for you then you can get your money back but I'm pretty confident that you will like the benefits because it works seamlessly I'm abroad a lot working or away from home a lot working and using my laptop and my mobile phone to get online and it gives me that safety and security that I want especially when checking email but more importantly when doing things like logging into the bank account I don't want to have any of those details compromised so go to nordvpn.com tcp and you will get a bonus month on top of your two-year plan There was another big crash at the start today, wasn't there? Lots of riders on the ground, including Sepp Kuss of Jumbo Visma, who's sixth placed, of course, overall, but is here working extremely hard for Jonas Vingegaard. And Ian, you spoke to him at the finish, and he gave a little indication as to how the peloton is feeling right now. Yeah, well, there's one thing we noticed at the buses this morning. You know, riders weren't really doing many interviews, and there was a sense that everyone was tired and everyone was really looking forward to the rest day tomorrow. And as we'll hear from Sepp, he thinks that that's why there have been crashes the last two days. Yeah, there was uh, narrowing in a narrowing in a town, and uh, just a spectator was out in the road and I guess just clipped my handlebar. And yeah, luckily I'm okay, I think. But uh, yeah, hopefully the other guys in the crash are, are all right. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, it's, it's been such a hard race. Everybody's a bit, uh, bit tired, and and you you lose the bit of alertness. And yeah, there's always things that are out of your control uh, as well. But uh, yeah, um, aside from nervous moments, 
sometimes there's, yeah, just crashes because of the fatigue. The guys were great. We still had a lot of numbers, even on the, the final climb when UAE uh, started pushing the pace. So, um, yeah, that's really encouraging. And we just rode our, our own race, and we were happy to let the breakaway uh, go for the stage. And, um, yeah, we're happy with where we are going into the rest day. There's no doubt that the riders are getting more and more tired, but unfortunately this crash today was actually caused by a spectator who we think was taking a selfie and just put his arm down at exactly the wrong time. It hit the handlebars of, I think, Wilco Kelderman. Who I think of Sepkus. Of Sepkus, yeah. who was the first to go down. Wilco Kelderman was also down pretty hard as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, spectator incident this time. Indeed. What about this GC battle then? I mean, we can get into it a little bit. Why don't the riders attack from eight, nine, ten kilometers out. I mean, Pogacar has tried these short, intense moves. Lizzie's making the point. Why not go from a long way out and really lay down the gauntlet once and for all and see just what happens? I mean, there are three days of kind of GC racing left in, in this tour. You know, that we have the time trial and we have two mountain days. That said, that is still a long time. And, you know, the, the gap is so close. You know, Pogacar and I, and, you know, Vingegaard mentioned this yesterday. He still doesn't think this race is going to be won by seconds. And so to risk something like that today, it, I mean, it's a huge effort to try to put any sort of time in or a significant chunk of time to, you know, fully crack Vingegaard. So, my, I mean, just having spent time at, you know, Team Sky where you kind of ride with this GC mentality, it's conserve, conserve, conserve. And, you know, at some point you have to make your move. But I just don't, today wasn't the day. And I think a lot of that was due to the riders retired. And we saw that at the top of the climb, you know, Pogacar made his acceleration, but it didn't have the same force that he's had in previous days. You know, he made that attack, and one thing I noticed is when he attacked, the past two times that he's made those accelerations, Vingegaard has been out of the saddle sprinting to close that gap. And today when Pogacar was attacking, Vingegaard was in the saddle and closing that gap without having to sprint, which means it was just a less yeah, vicious less, attack. Yeah, less powerful. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I do understand what you're saying, but, I mean, why the hell did he put all of his men on the front then? And you know, they kind of seem to be there, but for no reason. He seemed to be using them up for no reason, really. And yes, you say that there are still three days of GC days to go, but that's also that there are only three days, three GC days to go. We don't know what's going to happen in the time trial. And I think for Pogaccia, there is a risk that Codler Lowe's could be his downfall. We know that high altitude can be a struggle for him sometimes. And I just think that sometimes you... you you have to take a risk or lose a chance. I mean, you also just don't know how he felt, how that, you know, they, I assume they would have come into the, into the day with a plan and they got to the bottom of that climb and, okay, we have, we have the numbers here. Let's put our team on the front. Maybe he felt okay. Maybe he thought he was going to ride into the climb and, you know, feel, feel better and, and maybe make that attack. But it was pretty clear that, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have the legs to make a, you know, a killer attack today. And, you know, to be able to sit behind his teammates, it also is a sign of, you know, confidence Dominance. that the team has mm. in, in him. Well, what about Adam Yates then? Because he was out of the saddle, pedalling what looked like quite a big gear and stretching the gap, and Pogacar was not following convention and staying on the wheel. What was going on there, Ian, do you think? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I honestly think that Pogacar just wasn't on a stellar day today. You know, and, and there was a moment when they let the wheel go, and, and Yates actually got up the road. And at first I was thinking, okay, well, maybe they're going to try to move him back into GC, but it wasn't, it wasn't early enough in the climb you know, to actually kind of do what you know, teams would try to do and have two riders, you know, in second and third and, you know, but the gap to Yates is still too big for, for, for Jumbo and, and Vingegaard to really be 
concerned about him overall. But it is something that they could look at doing in the days to come in the mountains is, you know, sending Yates up the road. It was a weird moment because he let that gap go. Fine, let your rider up the road. Then it's the onus on somebody else. But then he also closed that gap himself as well. <laughs> and it was that moment when I thought, what on earth is going on here? Because let him go. Let him go. I mean, he's on the same time as, as Vingegaard. And he's, Vingegaard is the only guy that he needs to worry about, really. Wow. And if Yates gets more time, great. If Rodriguez comes back to them, which he did end up doing, um, then Rodriguez will probably stay with them. He may go over the top, and if he goes over the top, follow him. Well, you know, it was just a, it was just a bit of a bizarre, <laughs> a bizarre few moments up there. Maybe if Pogacar's in the yellow jersey in Paris a week tonight, we'll look back and think, well, he was playing five-dimensional cycling all along and he was just <laughs> operating on another plane and we had no idea what he was doing but he knew all along uh, let's hear a bit from adam yates talking at the finish i mean he denies here that he was in a big gear so what do we know i mean uh there's another hot day uh, so we just tried to keep going uh, yeah i just pulling for today and then uh, all of a sudden they said i'm alone so i kept pushing and then uh, came to mike but then he he knocked the shit out of me so <laughs> i had to ease off a little bit and then they came from behind anyway so uh I'm not sure exactly like what happened in the front, but uh, yeah, I think uh, as a team we showed that uh, we're quite strong and uh, you know, we've got one more week to uh, to try and take yellow. Like I said, I just pulled in full gas and uh, hopefully, I was hoping that Tade came, uh, came on early, you know, because I'm suffering so much, but uh, no, like we said, I'm I'm super, super happy with my uh, condition and uh, yeah, the team's looking super good, so looks good for next uh, next week, so. We had a few issues, issues with the radio as well, so. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm still kind of high up on the GC, so. If Tadi lets me go, then, uh, you know, Jumbo has to chase. And, uh, you know, this, this can work in our favour. Um, today was a little bit unexpected, but, uh, you know, these little things add up, add, up, add up over three weeks. So we'll keep trying and uh, hopefully in Paris we'll have the uh, yellow. The level's super high and, uh, yeah, I just hope we have the same legs uh, in the next week. As I said at the start, Carlos Rodriguez has, well, I was going to say, he has taken a firmer grip on that third place. But actually, what's happened is Adam Yates has closed right up, but Jai Hindley has slipped away. But Rodriguez definitely rode with the confidence of someone who won a stage yesterday and has put himself right in the mix for making the podium in Paris. I was really impressed with Rodriguez today. You know, at one point early on in the climb, he made a, a small effort, but nonetheless, you know, to attack or put any type of effort in against Vingegaard and Pogacar is a sign of real confidence. And, you know, he won the stage yesterday in, in pretty, you know, stylish fashion, you know, on the descent. And it's impressive to see a young rider who's, you know, riding his first Tour de France ride like that, knowing how strong the two riders ahead of him are mm -hmm. on GC. Um, I was just really impressed. And I think Ineos has also just given him the free reign. Hey, you know what? You need ride this race like you're winning. And, you know, just we're here to learn and experience it. I'm also quite impressed with his mental strength and his mental capability because both yesterday on the Plan and today at the finish in Lebetex, we saw you know him get distanced and absolutely you know not not take any sort of um, you know discouragement yeah, from that. Yeah, there's no panic, is there? No, no, no panic. panic. He was like they're there I'm riding my own race and both times he came back to them and was really strong in the end and that's really difficult to do it's really difficult to to keep having that positive mental attitude when you're getting dropped but that's I'm really impressed by that well I spoke to Rod Ellingworth of Team Sky at the finish quite a few things floating around about Rodriguez not least this rumor that he's off to Movistar next season uh, but I wanted to ask Rod about whether Carlos Rodriguez was riding like a, a new man today well, Rod, Carlos Rodriguez looks like he's riding with a newfound confidence after yesterday. 
yeah, I mean, he definitely um, has just gone up another gear, I think, yeah, after that win yesterday. That was quite special. And, uh, you know, he, you know he's, always, he's so steady away in what he does. He doesn't shout. He doesn't, you know, he just lets his legs do the talking. And I, and I, do, feel, I do feel like he, um, you know, he's just, uh, yesterday's win, just, you know, when they just get that big moment in life, it just makes them move on, doesn't it? And he certainly, I, f- I feel that in him, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Did he pick that vibe up last night around the dinner table, around the hotel? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guys were buzzing after Quieto's win, to be honest, and they were they were loving it. It's a great atmosphere on the bus. The guys are really getting on, and I think, you know, it's quite interesting with um, with uh, Quieto, uh, Omar, and uh, Castrovecchio. Uh, and with Castro, you know, they're just their whole sort of experience that they've got. And then you put Egan in that mix as well. Their, their experience with that they're pa- passing on to Tom and um, to Carlos is invaluable. You know, it's just fantastic, really. You couldn't ask for anything better. And they're loving it. They really are, you know. So Carlos was uh, was very upbeat last night and was very complimentary to all the staff. And it was brilliant, actually, yeah. I mean, what's the strategy? Because Pogacar and Vingegaard are engaged in this race against each other. There's yeah. that difficulty of when to get drawn into that, when to let it go on around them, when to just let it go. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't think I think he's he's not getting drawn into it, and I think you can see that on their climb today. You know, he's for for Carlos, it's just going as fast from bottom to top as he possibly can, and that's what he did today. So, I th- I don't think he's getting drawn into that battle. To be honest, um, I think we wanted to get this week out the way now. Uh, you know, we'll have a good thing to tomorrow. Um, he's got to do a good time trial. You know, he's had some good time trial days, but he can also have some shockers. So. Uh, but again, for him, it's all about that learning, you know, and getting the best out of himself on the day. So, so I think it's, um, you know, it's going to be quite interesting. So, and then Courchevel stage will be a crucial day, I think, yeah. And what about his future? There's been a lot of speculation, in, in fact, even reports that it's agreed with Movistar that he's going to go there. I mean, do you know? And if you do know, can you tell me? Huh. Uh, I pretty much know what's happening. So um, we'll be sorting a few things out the next few days, I think, yeah. I'm trying to read your eyes, Rod. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is what it is. He's, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of teams after him, I think. So, but I mean, fair play to him. You know, he's, he deserves it. Actually, he deserves teams chasing him. And you know, he is a great guy, potentially great champion coming up. And um, we're in we're in the business for Grand Tour racing as well. So, I mean, has the last few days changed anything from your point of view, or did you already want to keep him, or you know, what's how's that been playing out? No, nothing, not not at all. No, it hasn't changed at all actually, because I think, you know, he's uh, he's just. No, nothing's changed at all. If you think about it, we took him from a junior, we've done a lot of investment in him, we you know, he still stayed at school while in that first year or two. You know, he's working with with Xavier Teche, they're doing a good job. So in summary, he's either staying or he's going. In summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. So maybe the Spanish press are wrong. Maybe this deal to Movistar is not as done as they would like to think. Who knows? I mean, Rod's not giving anything away there. But they clearly like to keep him, judging from that. I was trying to read Rod's eyes there but uh, well, well we'll wait and see but it would actually be a big loss to the team even three days ago we didn't quite see Rodriguez being this calibre of rider in this Tour de France but he has grown up an awful lot in a couple of days he sure has you know and you know we're still we still got a week to go I mean he could continue to kind of you know solidify that third place and, and, and we'll see what happens with Yates I think he's going to be called on by Pogacar in the future to you know really you know maximize the day and you know he'll drop out of potentially the the top three 
Um, you know, unfortunately, Henley today had a bad day. I spoke to his director, Enrico Gasparato, at the start, who was just saying that, you know, that crash yesterday did affect him. So unfortunate for Henley, um, but that's really allowed, you know, Rodriguez. And side note, we found a new name for Rodriguez. Sugarman Rodriguez. Oh, oh there's, um, there's even a little poignant link to the cycling podcast there because we would often listen to the uh, soundtrack to that documentary, Searching for Sugarman, in the cycling podcast. Richard Moore introduced me to that documentary many years ago, and we listened to listen to that music. So yeah, I'm all for that. We'll call him Sugarman from now on. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Sugarman can uh, keep climbing up that ladder. A big thank you to Matt for supporting the cycling podcast they of course created our fantastic cycling podcast jersey still available at map.cc along with a range of accessories you can have fun browsing the whole collection of clothing for on and off the bike at map.cc we've been talking to jared smith one of the founders of map co-founder in fact and we wanted to know from him what the experience of watching the tour de france is like when you live all the way on the other side of the world and you have the time difference to contend with so this is jared smith co-founder of map talking about his love of the tour g'day this is jared from map and i'm the co-founder and the co-ceo the way we watch the tour de france here it's very different to what you would presume it is. To me, it's kind of having a glass of wine. You need to have your snacks ready because we're watching it from midnight till two or three in the morning. So <laughs> it's a very different vibe for us. So the Tour de France to me is all about staying up late, feeling hungover for three weeks, not getting any sleep. It's almost like having a newborn. And so you come into the office and then you'll be like, oh, did you see the stage last night? No, 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 don't tell me. I haven't seen it yet. So we have a bit of a two ways. You either stay up late and get really hungover or um, you get up in the morning and, you know, we can watch the, the, the live or the, um, the replays in the morning and you get like an hour replay, which is really great. So, or like myself on the way to work, I'm listening to a fantastic podcast giving me some, <laughs> some good updates to it as well. So yeah, it's very much like around the clock. You're either going to stay up late and watch it or you're going to be up early in the morning watching it on replay. L'étape de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Last night we had a very nice meal, didn't we? In where were we? Léger. Léger it was. Yeah, I yes, know. Gosh, I, I had a, a really... That was the only moment so far on the tour that I've been panicked. Three, <laughs> three blank minds yeah. there. I mean, I'm, my mind is always blank, but two other blank minds were alongside me. We had... Uh, well, we had the lamb, didn't we? Very good. Very good lamb. And Lizzie had a steak. I had the entrecote, which with... Uh, with chanterelles absolutely delicious and dauphinoise i was on holiday so i treated myself <laughs> and we were in a hotel that was literally on the start line i opened the shutters this morning and looked out at the start line of the stage of the tour de france and i think sometimes you can be too close to the tour de france it caused us a few worries last night about where to park if we would parked where we were initially going to park we would have been barriered in and blocked and we wouldn't have got here to the finish but we managed to find our way around to the the parking for the press so we left our car there overnight ian went off for his bike ride this morning at about seven o'clock and sent me a whatsapp saying well the van's still there so that was obviously a decent start to the day but one little note about the hotel i mean maybe we won't name them but well the chamois door the golden chamois <laughs> so a cycling link there but a 10 a.m checkout i mean come on guys have a little bit of sympathy for some hard-working journalists who are getting tired towards the end of the second week 
10 o'clock checkout. Just that's for the convenience of the hotel, not for the convenience of the guest. Anyway, um, my grumbles with hotels are not over because tonight we actually have nowhere to stay. We are. Hold on, Lionel. Well, you're I, stepping in, aren't you? Lizzie? Yeah, I mean, I have very kindly, <laughs> if I say so myself, offered you my house to stay in multiple times. And I don't think you've actually said yes yet. Well, we'll say yes now, <laughs> because otherwise it's the pavement or uh, sleeping on a roundabout. We do have sleeping bags in the van, but no, oh. uh, we basically, we booked using a very popular booking website. And, um, Is that a booking, booking yeah, website? Yeah, well, okay. But... Basically, the accommodation has not been in touch to tell us how we get in, how we get the keys. No response from the accommodation at all. And they have the cycling podcast money already in their bank account. So not best pleased. But these are the things the Tour de France sends to test us. It's a rest day tomorrow. And we've got to try and find somewhere alternative to stay tomorrow and Tuesday night. But that won't worry you, Ian, because you are off back home to the US tomorrow morning. I am. It always goes too quickly, Lionel. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of just starting to hit the groove. I'm, I kind of have that permanent stench of Tour de France at this moment. Um, but that, that's all part of it. You know, the, I've noticed with all these hot days, the press room is just, it's a, yeah, it's a it's filthy a, place. It's a grim place, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's a grim place. But uh, we had a lovely buffet today, didn't we, in the press room? That was. What did you think of the buffet? Your well, first experience, Lizzie, of the yeah, buffet. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot about the press room buffet on the podcast, and it was my first experience, and I was really impressed. I mean, we are in the Haute Savoie, of course, so excellent reblochon, Tom de Savoie, um, very lovely local bread, and pate salads we live well don't we hey hey yeah. wine well you had wine i had beautiful local pear juice so i was really impressed actually for the record i didn't have wine today anyway uh ian no stage tomorrow but maybe look ahead a little bit to the time trial on tuesday you'll be able to watch that from the comfort of your home but we were wondering about the time trial whether there'd be any bike swaps uh, because of the climb and, uh, well, a couple of people I spoke to said definitely not. And Rod Ellingworth actually reminded me that this is partly the same course as the 2016 stage that Chris Froome won ahead of Tom Dumoulin, and it goes up the Côte de Domancy. So a tough course, but not one where they need to ditch the time trial bikes. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a steep climb. I think it's 2 plus K at 10%, which is steep, but there is some flat road afterwards, which means, you know, a time trial bike is always going to be faster. And this is really, I mean, and kind of back to what we talked talked about earlier of why maybe a big attack wasn't made today because this is potentially going to be where the race is decided and and we're going to really find out where Vingegaard and Pogacar are because this is the first time they've gone head-to-head not racing each other but racing racing the clock and back to the old saying this will be the race of truth true but it's only 22 kilometers of of truthful racing and it comes after a rest day and of course how people respond to a day off or a little light day just spinning the legs it can be unpredictable so we will be back with the podcast then before that lots of kilometer zeros for everyone to catch up with on the rest day yesterday i went and met alex roos of lekeep he's their chief cycling correspondent and uh, a kind of second part of a series about lekeep really francois thomaso and i talked about the newspaper's importance to the tour de france the way it's documented the race the way it's kind of showcased excellent sports writing and alex roos is the latest in uh, a long line of very famous very celebrated L'Equipe writers and well I asked him how he feels about following in the illustrious inky footsteps of Godet, Brunel, Bouvet and Alex Roos he has won the Prix Jacques Godet which is the prize for the best writing in French he won that prize in 2021 and our very own Francois Thomaso has also won that prize and we've got a full programme of Kilometre Zero episodes coming up over the rest of the week. If you want to listen, sign up at thecyclingpodcast.com. We were just going to briefly 
return to yesterday's motorbike Farago, weren't we? Because Lizzie, I think you had a point or two you wanted to make that you ma- didn't manage to squeeze in last night. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, actually. I, I often feel like the motos are blamed because people need a scapegoat. And at the end of the day, ASO and the UCI are both huge, very powerful, very influential organisations, and they need to take some of the flack for this. Um, the, the moto riders are very skilled, they work incredibly hard, and... The problem was that if the motos were further ahead, the crowd fell in on the riders. And we saw this after after the, the motos did go further ahead after the incident, and then the riders had nowhere to go. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. They're further ahead, and then the riders ride into the crowd, or they're there, and the riders ride into the motorbike. Perhaps yesterday, the one thing that could have been done in order to make the situation slightly better is the, the bonus seconds at the top of the climb could have been annulled. But of course, that would have then had a, an effect on Carlos Rodriguez as well, who took the, the three seconds, which at the time catapulted him into third, third place, only one second ahead of Jai Hindley. So, you know, all of these things have effects. But I don't think we should just so quickly jump and play in the moto riders because there are other forces at play and at the end of the day it's the organization's job to regulate everything including the motorbike riders including the way the crowds are and if they're going to put bonus seconds at the top of the climb then they need to know that that's where the race is going to be and maybe they need to barrier the last k at the finish around the team bus area we saw mick rogers former rider of course rode for saxo bank rode for team sky mape back in the day former world time trial champion he's now working with the uci uh, looking at the organization of road racing a big part of that is safety he's been working quite closely with adam hansen as well the president of the cpa which is effectively the riders union that represents all of the men and women riders and uh, well we picked up a bit of intel didn't we Ian? i actually first heard this from adam hansen yesterday and then i kind of tried to validate my sources with with mick rogers today and they have been talking about and i guess they've been working on it for a year and a half now some type of sensor that will go on the back of motorbikes and lead cars to essentially warn them and they potentially could be penalized or kicked out of the race to kind of, here's the distance you need to be ahead of the rider. So the person driving the car, because you think about on the on the motorbike at the top of the Jeu plan, you have a camera person on the back who's trying mm-hmm. to shoot. They see what's going on. The person on the motorbike, they're trying to not hit a fan. So, you know, the person who's shooting the camera saying, hey, go, go, go. But by that time, it's too late for the motorbike to accelerate. So a system by which there's a sensor in place on the vehicles that will tell them how far they need to be ahead of the riders. And I asked Mick this as well. That will also be dictated on the speed in which they're traveling. Because if you're on a climb, you can be closer. There's not going to be a draft. But if you're going 60K an hour, all of a sudden 10 meters on a climb is okay. Mm-hmm. But on a flat road, you're going 60K an hour, you probably need to be you know, 40, 50 meters ahead just because there is a drafting benefit. Yeah, even 40, yeah. 50 metres, there's still a drafting benefit. So Exactly, yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah. Bert Blocken will be happy to provide re- the re- research to uh, Adam Hansen on. Yeah, Mick also mentioned, and I, I can't remember if we mentioned this in the podcast after Milan San Remo, but uh, he had made representation to the Italian broadcasters and to RCS who organised Milan San Remo, saying, look, can we just not have any camera bikes in front of the riders on the descents of the Cipressa and the Poggio and if you look at the TV coverage you'll see that there were no motorbikes in front of Van der Poel when he was coming down the Poggio and all of the shots were aerial ones from the helicopter and that worked really well and he did kind of drop in that he hadn't managed to have those kind of conversations with the organisers here at the Tour de France and that just made me think it was actually quite interesting that the shots of the top of the Col de Juplan were all from the helicopter yesterday mm-hmm. I can't remember them cutting the director didn't cut back to a shot from the motorbike that was in front of Pogacar and Vingegaard so in a way 
that bike didn't actually need to be there in order but to. But they still have a role controlling the crowd. True, they do. Yeah, they do. But I did see. I did see uh, Adam Hansen put out. I think a little bit of a satire tweet today talking about putting motorbikes surrounded in kind of balloons, <laughs> right, driving in a like you know a fighter jet formation, you know, a, a V, and essentially just bouncing fans off the road in front of the riders. It's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good work. To watch this space. Maybe if they hold a race, uh, Tour of Flanders on April first, they can uh, do it as some kind of April Fool's joke. Anyway, we should wrap up here in the shadow of Mont Blanc and go and have our cheesy dinner tartiflette hopefully tonight give you a send off in style Ian with something that will give you a sleepless night in well fortunately thank you very much Lizzie <laughs> on my floor maybe <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, a, what, a, what a fantastic cycling podcast send off yeah. for you um, uh, I'll upgrade you to the airbed don't you worry it, there we go it, oh, fantastic it's been a great week Ian I've really enjoyed your company uh, some of the stories you've told in the van will make it onto the podcast one day yes. uh, anonymised <laughs> um, but it's been fantastic. You've added so much to our coverage over the past six days, and hopefully you will return later on in the year. But oh, safe it, travels. It's been an absolute pleasure, Lionel, and I would love to come back. And Lizzie, you'll be with me again on Tuesday to talk about the time trial. We'll be joined by Richard Abraham, who is coming out tomorrow. And uh, I suppose I should send him a WhatsApp to tell him to bring a sleeping bag and a tent. Thank you, Lionel, and safe travels, Buzz. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.